everybody. How are you? And welcome to the John Riley Project. I'm so excited to have as my guest today, Catherine Cloward. Catherine, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back. Yeah, you've been on. This is your third time, I think, on the podcast, right? Yes, I, lo- I like talking with you, John. You have great questions and it's it feels free. So I appreciate being interviewed by you. Well, or just we, talking we with have, you, I should say. <laughs> well, it's exactly. It's a discussion. It's not like an interview. It's not like yeah. you know, we're, we're just going to have fun. And we're, we're going to talk about a lot of great things because whenever you're here, I always feel very motivated. You're inspirational. You get me excited. You get me thinking about being better, you know, as a person. And and the work that you're doing in children's media, in uh, songwriting, as an author, as an entrepreneur. I mean, it's just, you got so much going on. It makes these conversations so wonderful. So thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. But I want to start just for our audience, just to, for those of you that don't know Catherine, just to kind of tee it up, I want to share with you something that Catherine posted recently on Facebook that was wonderful. And it moved me when I, when I saw what she wrote and I just want to read it on the air here. And Catherine said, I am 46 years old. I love the woman I've become. I've journeyed through some horrible hard times and pulled myself out of wells of toxicity. I've also experienced the fulfillment of achieving awesome peaks and manifesting my dreams. I have amazing people in my life who get me, who I don't have to translate myself to. Oh, wow. What a gift to be soul to soul understood. And then you go on to say, but all in all, I am simply a woman on a journey. Part of my journey is to affirm for myself that I will never again contain myself conform to uncomfortable vibrations and be less than my true vibrancy. This is what I desire for others, particularly those who truly desire it for themselves. Uncontainable vibrancy. Like, wow. I mean, that's, <laughs> tell me where, where does this come from? Where, how <laughs> you, you cook up this wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, every once in a while, it just comes out. But uh, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And um, it's different to hear it recited back to me from my own words. But some days I feel particularly inspired and it just flows out. I mean, that wasn't anything I sat and thought about. It's just really where where I'm at. And, um, you know, I'm always on this journey. That is the truth is that I'm always on this journey. Um, we all are. And my journey is very Um, my creativity is, my personal creativity is very linked to who I am and part of that journey. So what's really become of late for me is that I, I realized how often I used to contain myself and I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't need to fit into anybody's box. I've never been one to fit into a box, but I'm really claiming, claiming that for myself now. And I, and that free, and it's all about personal freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the goal. It, it, when we talk about freedom um, in, in personal development terms, it's that personal freedom of lack of comparison, lack of, yes. um, lack of uh, conforming to other to ever, anything else other than what's authentic and true. So when we are shining 
our authenticity, our authentic light, you know, the light of who we are Mm -hmm. is when we're just aligned. You know, I teach children about the colors of the rainbow, which are kind of, you know, in in symbolism with the chakras, but truly it's just about, you know, you never see a rainbow that's just one color. It's all the colors lined up. So when we are standing and shining as we are, then we're being exactly who we are meant to be without covering our light up to fit in to other, uh, other, others with other people or in other circumstances, you just stand and shine like Mm -hmm. the lighthouse, you know, I, I, uh, Anne Lamont has this great quote that I've been percolating on lately is, uh, she said something along the lines of, you know, the lighthouse doesn't go around the ocean looking for boats, you know, to shine upon the lighthouse just stands there and shines something like that. And that, and so that's how I feel is I feel like that's where I've arrived to. I've come to this, this kind of edge of my journey and gone, I'm just going to stand here and shine and I'm going to do what I'm here to do. And I'm not going to dim the switch anymore. I'm just going to shine. And that may inspire and motivate you. And next thing you know, we're going to light up this entire coastline of everyone just shining. And that that feels rad to me. I want to do uh, that. That is inspiring to me. And it's not just adults. It's everybody of all ages that we can be uncontained with our light, our vibrancy out into the world. This is such a great message that you're preaching because, you know, we, we, we need to be told this more often as, as a young person and even as a young adult, because, we some like you say we compare ourselves to others we hold ourselves back we're, we we we're limited by our own fears we don't want to be authentic in who we are because we don't want people to knock us back down because we're afraid i mean the messaging you're teaching is so wonderful but why is it so difficult why do people struggle with this um to be that lighthouse and just shine what gets mm. in the way I would say for me, I can't speak for other people, but I can say for me is that I didn't realize how many layers and layers and layers I was carrying of who I am that weren't who I am. They were the layers of expectations. They were the layers of society's conformity. And so I was so used to carrying that around. It was like, I use the analogy of the wool coat in one of my songs, but like, it's like you're, you don't even know that you're carrying these, this kind of heavy, these these heavy layers of clothing, which for us would be kind of like our energetic layers. And so to, to the journey, oftentimes we don't know that we don't realize that we are carrying that around. I think that's the first step of going who the, the, a wonderful question is who am I now? who am I now? Like not just who am I, but just who am I now? Because through life I have, I have experienced different, you know, layers of transformation for myself. I'm, I'm completely, I would say energetically very different than one who I was, you know, seven years ago, 15 years Mm -hmm. ago, but the core of Catherine has always been there. And what I've discovered through this journey is is getting to the core, the light source, right? So the, the core of who I am. Um, and that's, you know, for me, it's various, a spiritual journey. And I see spirituality as just as anything of, you know, that we're here on this, this wonderful planet. And the, I believe that we all have goodness in us. 
It's just that we are good. Um, we just happen to perhaps have wounds that are layers. We have we have other people who were wounded who put upon us their own wounds, right? Of, of things. And so we have to take off all these layers and go, who am I? And that has been the journey of my creative journey is this journey of self-discovery. And then as I'm discovering, I share. And so, um, you know, personal development, John, isn't everyone's jam. Not everybody's, <laughs> you know, there. But I think that people desire for it. When, when, when you can get comfortable in the uncomfortable of, of yourself, because I used to not want to spend time by myself, John. I used to crowd my life with being around a lot of people because I felt like, okay, I'm, a, you know, I'm very active. I'm very, I'm, I'm around a lot of people. I'm fine. And that's the truth of how I look at it. The truth of the matter is, is I wasn't fine just hanging out with Catherine. And now it's completely the other way around, John, is that I love, <laughs> I am a total like house, <laughs> you know, I, even though, even without COVID, I love, I love being in my own like sanctuary to create. Um, I, I'm very discerning about who I spend time with because I got comfortable with myself and I protect the layers of who I am. So I now, because I'm aware of what gets put on us energetically, I make sure that I'm not around people putting their stuff on me. Does that make, am I making sense? Hopefully. (laughs) I've gone through a similar evolution and I get it. Um, It's interesting how, you know, we don't really start figuring that out until we're, you know, uh, you know, in, in somewhere in the middle age years, right? Um, when we're as a young, when we're when we're really young, we're innocent, right? We we don't have all those layers, and we haven't been wounded, and we're pure, and we're free, and and we, yeah, life sometimes beats us down for for any number of reasons, and sometimes we beat ourselves down, but then we figure it out, and that's what I love about the work you do is you're teaching not only children, but also adults, like how to overcome this and, and how to become free and to, and to essentially believe in yourself and be all that you can be. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful message. Thank you. How how did you, how did you get to this place? Um, Because I mean, we, we could talk about your background. I mean, it's incredible the work you're doing with as, a, as an author for children's books and videos and music and, and also as an adult songwriter and musician and publisher. And I mean, the list of things that you do go on and on. But how, how did you get to this place? Because um, I would imagine when you were younger, you probably had a job and were doing a thing, whatever it was you were doing. But you made this leap to be this, this, um, how should I say this evangelist of good vibes? Um, <laughs> That's rad. <laughs> yeah, and how did you get to that point and, 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 and turn it into a business on top of it all? Right. Um, well the, the, how did I get here is the, um, you know, it's been, again, it's been a journey as far as what I choose, how I choose to be in this life is very, um, is very integrated, inter, you know, integrated with what I do. Right. And so mm-hmm. instead of it being like, I work for somebody else and I do this thing and then, and then my life is everything outside of that. Um, I have woven together this tapestry of this creativity, but it's taken 
a long time. And, but that, that happened because I made the discerning choice that I didn't want to be on that treadmill that I had been on for a while. Mm. So, um, and not everybody, you know, I, I'm not a, um, I've never been a, um, I've never been a trade time for money person. What I mean by that is I've never really been like an hourly, like uh, when I was younger, of course, but I've always had this, like, I've always been attracted to the possibilities of what could be, you know, the unlimited and not just the unlimited, like, you know, as far as abundance of finances, you know, that's why a lot of people go into like, you know, I was originally a commissioned sales rep um, in my beginning of my career, but I love the possibility of manifestation of having an idea and making it become. And truly when we talk about innovation, I mean, innovation like is all about that. You know, our entire, our entire culture is built upon creative innovation, you know, from the technology we're using right now, somebody had this idea and created it. Right. And so we always hear about these stories of people who had this idea and they believed in it so much that it manifested. And that's really what what I've been doing. But I had to believe in myself to manifest that I had to believe that I had within me the ability to figure out how to do how to how to write, how to put myself out into the world. And so as I've been becoming Catherine, without all those layers we just talked about, I'm using this experience I've had in my life of on the business side into figuring it out. But it wasn't like a rocket ship, you know, up to the sky, John, you know, uh, my first company that I started was in food marketing. And I, um, I was profitable in that company like seven months in because I had learned on the, I had learned that business working for somebody else. The risk had been their finances. Okay. So like I worked, so, which is a very important thing in in business is Mm -hmm. when I was, um, I had six years of, of business experience working for other people, but I was commissioned. So even though I was, I was paid upon my results, you know, I've never been paid for my efforts. I have to create results. So, um, so I had to figure out how to close deals, right. And get deal and create customers and all that. But as far as where the money was being invested into the products and whatnot, it wasn't out of my own bank account, John. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. the risk was, was ultimately theirs. And I remember during that time, I had a customer who ended up being an associate with, with mine when I, when I went on that he, he used to say to me, you know, Catherine, it's easy to spend other people's money. It's different when it's your own. Yes. So fast, right. So fast forward into when I started my food marketing company and, uh, and I had to build the equity to be able to leverage. Right. And so, but that, but I had already got gained the experience kind of on somebody else's dime ish. Mm-hmm. So when I came in, when I, when in the recession, we talked about this before, like the recession just kind of was this tumbleweed with all of my clients. And then my company went down and that was about the time where I just didn't want to be, I wanted to start creating. So I took the leap into, into what I'm doing now, but it wasn't like, it wasn't the same. It was like, you know, everything that I have done has been risk upon myself. You know, I bet on purple. I bet on Catherine. So it, 
the truth of the matter is, is oftentimes people are like, you know, we hear these pitches from people who are like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing. And I made this amount of money and you can do it too. Sign up for my program, right? Because their program <laughs> is the pitch, okay? Right, right, <laughs> Honestly, exactly. you're going, I've, I've experienced all layers of the industry, of the rocket ship. I've experienced the decline. And so even in this industry, it's a whole different industry is I'm dealing, I'm in the media marketing, I'm in the media place on both book publishing and music publishing. And there are some enormous big dogs in this industry. So I've had to learn how, how to run those businesses while like that, well, that business, while also creating what I'm putting out into the world as the business, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's been, but I've never, I've just, I've, um, I, I bet on my ability to be able to figure it out. And I am figuring it out, you know, and I've been in the publishing, book publishing world for um, technically for 12 years now, 11 years, and it's changed a lot in those years. And I've learned to adapt, like, what I did when I first started Calvin the Great <clears throat> is not what I'm doing now, mainly because the industry has changed and I had to figure out how can I be a player in this and and produce a lot of content without having all my money sucked up in inventory. And so I've learned. So mm-hmm. I share that with you because <clears throat> I, I want to, you know, a, a lot of times people before they start something risky, because everything is a risk. If you're if you're getting a guarantee it's no, there's no risk, right? Risk is, mm-hmm. so if there's risk and reward. But when people are going, I have this idea and I really want to do it, right? They usually tell everybody about it <laughs> to get, you know, they gain, they gauge everybody's interest. <clears throat> right. And then also look to people to, for inspiration. Um, and I always encourage people to, to seek inspiration from people who have longevity in their career, right? Not the person who just in 12 months figured something out because I want to see where they are in, in four years, right? And so is, and to trust your own abilities that you can learn, that you can figure it out, that you will be guided to partner with the right people to collaborate with you to create your vision. But <clears throat> first and foremost, you have to believe in it wholeheartedly because if you don't believe in it then it's never going to manifest and most and most importantly you're never going to get anybody on board to go I'm with you I don't know if I see it yet but I'm with you you know and so and then you have to treat you know and so this process has been an ever-evolving learning process John and and it's and I've and I've built my career based off of results right and so um like because I've been able to, because I can prove that I've been able to publish this or write these songs, does I'm able to go, okay, now I can do that for other people. But I didn't have that confidence and belief in myself when I started years ago. So you have to just get on the path and start doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to take action. And sometimes, like I have a friend who just started a business a few months ago and, um, and they experienced a little bit of fear when it didn't, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like open and explode, which is what a lot of people want us to believe happens when you open business. Like you open it up and the people are just going to like flock to you. Like, no, oh, you got to invest in marketing and all this stuff. And so there was a bit of fear about, oh my gosh, what if I risked all this money and it doesn't happen? And I said, well, that's true. But if the worst case scenario is you lose all your money, you're not, you know, you're not out on the street. You, this is a side hustle for you. But secondly, 
I doubt that's going to happen because who, because now you've started the train in motion. And now because you're doing this, it's making you think about these other things. And so all of a sudden there is momentum. So you have to create the momentum. So sometimes the idea that we might, we might jump out the gates with and start rolling with may not be the idea that we, that we stick with over the long haul, but at least we're in motion and you have mm -hmm. to be in motion. And the only person who's going to pour energy into your, you know, into your train, right? Who's, who's going to fuel your train is you. Yes. That's a beautiful message. And a lot of people struggle with that, right? So a lot of people, they're on that treadmill you talked about. They're in that job and that rat race and they commute 45 minutes one way to get to work. And they're in a grind and they're making an hourly wage and they're not happy and they dream of doing something different, but they don't really believe in themselves and therefore they can't make that initial leap. But I know speaking for myself as an entrepreneur, you're right. What, what you start out doing and what you're doing later, it evolves and you learn and you grow and technology changes and it creates new opportunities and, and suddenly you, you, and you grow, you learn, you, you become more powerful and you learn more, more about yourself. I mean, gosh, it's, this is wonderful. Um, I wish, I wish I knew now, how does that say? I, I wish I knew then what I know now, you know, I wish I had this understanding when I was in my twenties. Right. But you need the life. No, I don't actually. And I'm gonna tell you why. And I, I bet you, I'm going to try and change your mind on that is because you needed all this life experience to get to where you, you're even percolating on these questions now differently than you would have been. Right. And so, yeah. and so, Instead of like, you needed this entire path. I needed this entire path, right? And so, uh, so perhaps sometimes I might go, gosh, I wish I could have learned that lesson quicker and earlier, which perhaps is what you're saying. But yeah. ultimately, I needed, I needed some of those hard lessons, both personally and pro professionally, mm -hmm. to have the stamina, to have the perseverance, to have the grit. And to have the confidence in myself to be in a room and say, no, I created that. I, you know, that I, yeah, I did that. You know, I have been in a room with plenty of people who have tried to take credit for what I've done. And when I was younger, I um, didn't have the, I didn't have the claim it, Catherine, that I have now. And, um, and I don't even, I don't even necessarily need to claim it that way, but I've had people who have, have, have really tried in the shadows as well as outright in front of me claim claim what they didn't do. And, uh, and I needed to have that confidence in myself to go, no, this is, uh, you know, I hired you, you worked for me, but you didn't create it. You created mm -hmm. what I gave you the roadmap to create. Right? right. And so, and I think, um, I needed all of that experience because I had to learn about loyalty. I had to learn about business. I had to learn that within me, I had the capacity to make the call and build the relationship. And that's what I want to encourage for everybody is we're all very different, right? We're all, we're, we're all different and we have wonderful gifts. And um, it's in discovering what your gifts are, right? What, what makes you, you, that who am I now, right? What's the light source within you? And how are you going to use that to do good on this planet, to help other people and to help yourself, right? Yeah. You have to help yourself. Like you, yes. you can't give everything away and not have anything to, to, 
to, to have to create more. You know, I had to learn that lesson too. So, um, so I think that um, we, we need the journey but what I would hope is that um, that we learn quicker, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that, right. that we can learn quicker that when something isn't working for us, we don't have to go, oh, why isn't it working? Right. Like yeah. oftentimes if something isn't working for us, we we battle ourselves and battle it thinking that that is going to make it work. But there's a reason it's not working. Sometimes it's just a little shift so you can get around that mountain. Mm, and so, so right and so um so paying attention to where the feel good feeling is i mean i teach that in children's music i teach that in in with adults you know like to follow the feel good flow we've talked about that before yeah, so what yeah. feels good right mm-hmm. you know we i believe that i am not here to work a job all you know i've seen it i, I I saw it even with my dad, you know, it's kind of, I saw this in all these like videos before John, like, you know, people we work, we spend our lives learning and then we spend this massive amount of our time working so that then there's this time that we retire and then we can enjoy, but that those years of retirement usually aren't this like seven, you know, it's not the greater, the, the greatest amount of time that we have um, is, is those years of where we're kind of out of school and before we retire, quote unquote. Right. So mm-hmm. this, this, this massive chunk of time, what are you filling it up with? Mm-hmm. That's the question. So for me, I was kind of tired of going, all right, I'm working for somebody else. Um, and and, every, and that's totally fine. That's just like, wasn't, I had this creative thing. So I was working kind of like for the weekend and um, that's not really who I am. So now it's like, I barely even know when the weekend is, you know, because I just create. I, I'm excited to get up in the morning. I'm excited to create. Excited to help people, and that feels good. And if and if someone's listening and going, I don't have that feeling. My question would be: is take the time for yourself to figure out what aspects of your life are not are are this, and what's what's flowing. And when you can discern mm-hmm. that for yourself, honestly, you know, the only way you can live an authentic life is get real and honest with yourself and this whole journey that's the first question you asked me is this whole journey john started with me getting real and honest with myself about the ways that i was not happy about myself in how i was orienting my myself in the world and i cleaned up all those layers and all the things that i you know things i wasn't proud of in my life i cleaned all that up and now i don't have that weight carrying around (sighs) you're right. It it does. It all, it all starts. It has to start with you, you know, and and you've got to get yourself right before you can go out into the world and really be as powerful as you can be. Um, by the way, uh, bonus points for the uh, lover boy reference (laughs) for working for the weekend. I I was already (laughs) thinking about the, the band lover boy. Uh, (laughs) um, you know, that's funny is you, you, there's a lot of people here in San Diego County that you can tell that that essentially work for the weekends. And I would see that because there's so many people that love to go out into the desert, right? Like they get they load up their trucks and and their RVs. And and, and I love that, that they do that. Um, but it is it always kind of struck me as a working for the weekend kind of a mentality. Um, but you've been able to integrate, like you say, you don't know when the weekends are. You've been able to integrate your business life and your personal life into a common, you know, a, 
how do I say this? It was a kind of a common goal, right? They all flowed together as opposed to like a great wall of China separating your work life and your personal life. That to me is really powerful. I mean, if it, but it, the journey, you had to go through that journey to get there, right? Yeah. And especially this leg of my journey, I would definitely, you know, it'd be so great if I was like, it was so easy and it was so smooth and oh my goodness, golly gracious, you can do it too. The truth of the matter is, is I've never shied away from, while I haven't given every detail of every valley I've been in and every, Mm -hmm. you know, steep climb I've had to climb, there have definitely been signposts on my journey of the past 12 years specifically where I'm like, can I keep doing this? Is this yeah. where I'm supposed, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, this is hard or, you know, cause I, I had to start, I started something from, from nothing and I had to keep creating the energy to behind it. Um, and so I had a number <laughs> of really important choice point moments. I know I gave a mm-hmm. TEDx talk like back in, I don't know, 2012, 13, and it was called choice point moments. I teach children in my book about choice point moments. I talk to adults about choice point moments because life is all about these choice point moments where we say, mm-hmm. we, do we do this? Or are we going to do this? And there have been times in my, in my journey where, there's even some people that I worked with, you know, 23 years ago, some of the, the people I worked with in my first position, who there were times where I called them up as like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. Like, what do you have for me? That's happened. That, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. I have to say one of my original, my original boss who hired me when I was green, her name's Jennifer Collins Piner. I'm good friends with her still. But there was a time where I called her and I was in this place of self-doubt. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And she poured into me the love I needed of, of somebody who knew who I was and knew what I was capable of. And she gave me that pep talk to get back into the game. Nice. And we all need those people. We all need those people because the moments of self-doubt, the moments of, can I do this? Like life is hard. There's a lot of exterior, external hard stuff happening in my life. And then I got to show up a hundred percent here. And I have those people in my life. uh, You know, often we know what we need, right? And so I needed somebody to say, Catherine, that isn't your lesson. Get back in there. You can do this. And I was like, okay. Right. And, um, and I count on that. And so, but I felt strongly, John, my whole life that there was like, there was something else for me to do. And I wasn't doing that before. I wasn't being that before. And my, my discovery was, what, what am I going to be proud of? What, what do I feel fulfilled doing? What makes me feel fulfilled? Now, some people, the working for the weekend and you know, the home life, the family life is what matters. And I totally get that. I just, I'm in, you know, anybody who goes into entrepreneurial world or the creative world, it isn't a, it doesn't just turn off when the workday is done, is done. Like the creative mind's always going. So that's why I say like, I don't know when the weekend is because my mind is always going. (laughs) My mind's always going. So um, fortunately, my son's a teenager and he's 14. So he's in that stage of like, he likes to stay up a little later on the weekends and sleep. So I can get a lot of work done on the weekend. But but I think that that, um, I never shy away from that it's not, it hasn't been easy. 
but also once I got into, once I kind of figured out some things, John, it became easier and easier. And then it became easier and easier and easier. The, the more that I got out of my way. And so that's what I want to encourage people with is fulfillment. Um, fulfillment is a feeling that we have. Are you, are you feeling fulfilled in your life? And maybe it's just a little tweak that you need to make that will help fill you up with that fulfillment. And the truth of the matter is, is I was always this really creative, passionate um, little girl. I contained a lot of my energy for a long time. And um, now I have, <laughs> I'm this grown woman that, you know, does, does um, fun. I, I have no, I have no, uh, I mean, I'm full tilt with kids on videos. I'm full tilt with kids just because it's fun. You know, I'm having a good mm -hmm. time in my life while also going, all right, we got to figure out how we're going to get this project to completion. And um, we're in the middle of COVID and I have people who are relying on me to get this done. How, you know, then it's like a switch. Well, yeah, the, we're in our we're in the zone, right? When we're building, when we're creating, especially for you as a creative person, um, and yeah, you just did complete a big project. I mean, you came out with a new album all together. Yes. Um, a Catherine the Grape album. Tell me about that. How, how did this process go? What's what's the theme of your album that you put forward? Awesome. Well, thanks. Yes. So the Catherine the Grape All Together album just came out. So if you have children in your life um, and personal development type stuff is important to you, uh, that's what I pour into Catherine the Grape. So the album has 10 songs. Um they're upbeat. They have messages like, I feel good about myself. You matter to me. Just be. Just be you. I'll just be me and together we'll be happy. Um, I like being me. I have another song called I'm Happy Being Me. And then I did I Like Being Me, which is a little bit different. But you know what? You can never get too filled up <laughs> with that feel good love. Yeah. Um, right. I also have a song called Choosing Kindness, which is also a book. I have a song called It's Okay to Cry, which is also a book. So I I wrote all these songs. Um, they Some of them connect lots of the Calf and the Grape songs and connect to the books that I share. So, you know, my desire, John, with Calf and the Grape is I, I personally care about personal development. I personally care about um, you know, having tools that help me be the best I can possibly be as a human being. You know, not the projection of look at me. I don't care about that. I care about like, am I am I comfortable in my own skin? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to provide. That's that's what I provide to children and simplified tools. And so altogether is upbeat. It's fun. The lyrics are important lyrics, but I did it in like a lot of dance beat stuff. Uh, shake, shake, shake song. You know, we got kids who are on Zoom yeah. right now and distance learning and they need a break. And so the shake, shake, shake song, I actually wrote the song with these cute little like dance moves because, you know, my first job out of college was at Club Med. I got to sing and dance at Club Med. <laughs> nice, <laughs> like, nice, it's all good. part. It's all like in me. But um, I I know how important the music aspect of Calf and the Grape is to what I do. And so I had known for a while I wanted to put together another original album. And I wrote actually all these songs like Lightning Speed back before COVID mm -hmm. in January. And then I met a young man named Daniel Fritz. I met him through the Father Joe Project, which we can talk about in a second. Um, I met Daniel uh, through Sister Faye Hagen, who is an important character in the whole story of San Diego. And uh, Daniel's her great niece, or excuse me, great nephew. And he, um, he 
loves music. And next thing you know, we met, we talked, I talked with his parents, he was looking for an internship. So he helps me create my music. And he helped um, bring all the all that vibrancy that I had been desiring to life. So I just keep meeting the people who are, you know, who desire to create. And so creatives attract creatives, and then, you know, so Um, but we created this album, John. The rest of the album created during COVID. So we got all the music laid down before COVID came in. And then I was like, oh my gosh, how we're gonna get these vocals. So everybody who I'm friends with who helped sing vocally, everyone did it at home. Like it was like the COVID at home recording. Yeah. And that's so cool, you know? So <laughs> Well, it's great. I mean, like the technology is making it's making it easier for entrepreneurs to produce content. Right. I mean, besides the fact we're doing podcasts like this. Um, yeah, the, the people are recording at home and what probably sending you tracks and then you're synchronizing them and and getting the whole mix done. Right. It's something. Yeah, like that. that's exactly yeah. what we did. So um, Daniel is um, is a went to Berkeley School of Music and he had a home whole home studio. That's how we got a lot of the layers of music done. Right. Mm -hmm. And then one really cool, the only thing we did in the studio was we got to record the live drum tracks at the UCSD Conrad Prebis Music Center because Leo um, Barba, who was my drummer, he was a music student at UCSD at the time. And being enrolled in the music program, you get to use their recording technology. Just uh, it's part of his tuition. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so he's like, hey, Catherine, we could just do it at UCSD. And I was like, what? So, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably the most impressive studio I've ever been in, you know? So we did that. And then, um, and then yes, the album was on shutdown, John, for like five or six months because I just was like, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? You know, and plus in the beginning months of COVID, we were all like, what? You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, we all had that kind of weird stall of like, um, what's happening in our life. And so uh, to record the vocals, I got in touch with um, different people and I was like, hey, Leonard, can you record, you know, Leonard Patton is a great talent here in San Diego. If you've been to any live theater performance, Leonard's in it. He's just an incredible artist. So I got in touch with Leonard. Are you able to record at home now? And he was like, yes. So Leonard recorded his vocals and engineered them. So everyone gets an engineer credit as well. I'm very, it's very important to me to make sure everyone gets the right credit. And so he get, you know, he, and he engineered his daughter's vocals. I was like, "Does, does your daughter want to sing too? Yes. So, um, so you're right, John, is that Everybody who used to, you know, kind of do these things out in, out in other places, we all had to figure out how to allow how we were going to use creativity in our homes with technology in our homes. And, and that's the greatest thing about the entrepreneurial creative. You know, anybody who's innovative is you got to figure it out. Right. So, and that's what I did, you know, just to give everyone credit, Megan recorded her vocals at home. David recorded live bass at his house and Becky um, Baird, she has two children. So uh, two kind of teenage children. And so well, kind of they are. And uh, so they recorded their vocals in the master closet of their bedroom and the husband, um, Daniel, he he did all of the uh, engineering, you know, corded into their bathroom. So <laughs> this was 
all together, <laughs> the yeah, album yeah, all sure. together. We all worked all together to try and figure this out. So, um, but the premise of the album is really just to help, you know, fill up children and the adults listening. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about youth and family music is that, you know, who's listening along with it. You know, if you've got mm -hmm. your child, you know, watching YouTube videos while you're making dinner, you're listening to it as well. If you're driving in the car, listening to youth and you know, family music, you're listening to it as well. So my desire is, is to share all these messages with children and they hopefully stream into the awareness of the adults that are, um, that are caring for children. Nice. Well, here, I have a question for you, more of a technical thing, but how, when musicians release albums, it's not like an album from the 1970s, right? Like a vinyl, you know, because it's digital, right? So are you, how, how do you distribute the music? I mean, I would imagine you're selling CDs, but I would imagine people are buying a la carte MP3s of the songs, right? Yeah. So no, how does that work? That's a, that's a great question. Um, well, CDs are almost obsolete now. Like most, right. there's a lot of people, you won't even see like people when they do their releases, they're not even releasing it as a physical product. A lot of people mm -hmm. aren't doing that. The thing that some people have started doing, especially in years, recent years, is they'll do like a vinyl recording. Like that's, you know, they'll do the, um, for a record. Um, but as far as, uh, there's, I mean, this is the industry right now is everything's digital. And so there are right. distributors um, and this is why independent music uh, labels and publishing companies are able to exist because it's not just the monopoly of the big dogs anymore. You know, I'm able to, you know, we're all able to have access to the wild, wild west <laughs> platforms of of digital and streaming music. And most people, not everybody, but most people are downloading music from the sources like Apple Music and, and Amazon. And then there's the streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Amazon. Mm -hmm. And so you work with a distributor. Um, there's a few different distributors, uh, DistroKid, CD Baby, a few different places. And so you, you distribute your music with them. And then there's all these layers of all this behind the scenes digital stuff that we're dealing with. So um, especially because, you know, and this is what has changed with the music industry, John, is in the past, artists were able to make their money in the music industry on CD sales, right, on record, on the physical product sale. And even though your, your label and your publisher had some cuts and things, the artist could make margin, could make profit on that, right? So mm -hmm. those sales are ultimately obsolete pretty right. much now. I do make CDs for the children's music market because a lot of parents and grandparents still ask for that. So, but most, most a lot of people don't. They only do dis digital distribution. And plus there's cost in that, right? So like you have to have a product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then uh, as far as... Uh, and then the other way that artists um, traditionally, like all the big bands, right? Why did they tour so much? Well, because they toured because not just it got people interested in their music, but, you know, there's the profit on ticket sales, which as time went on, a lot of that profit went to the the organizations that were or, were organizing the the tours, 
right? right so the, promoter, right. the promoters. So it wasn't mm-hmm. always going to the artist, right? That's why Garth Brooks a number of years ago created his own promotion, his own tour company, his own, he, he was even doing the ticket sales of his own stuff because everybody was taking a, a cut. You know, the, the music industry, like as a, as, a, as a business class is fascinating on how it has changed and changed and changed. But back to touring is artists were making money on merch, right? So you sell, you know, a Aerosmith shirt at an Aerosmith concert. Let's say you, buy, you know, you've got fans there. They're going to buy a t-shirt for $35, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, and so they, they were making a lot of their money there. So if you've noticed in recent time, John, that a lot of artists, especially during COVID, it's been a big news article, uh, news story that a lot of artists are selling their publishing rights to major publishing companies because there's because uh, a song is divided by who writes it and who publishes it. So the writers of the music, the writers of the lyrics and then the publishers. And so but you have your own publishing rights as the writers. And so when you sell that off, you know, there's money to be made there, but publishing is where you're able to get your songs into movies and TV and whatnot. So what you're experiencing right now with artists is that artists, the, the space to make money on your art has narrowed. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's, it's been narrowing. And so it is an interest. That's why there is a lot of, uh, a lot of artists and songwriters are really pushing back at some of these digital streaming sites mm-hmm. where let's say Spotify pays you like a hundredth of a penny <laughs> for a stream. Right? right. But they're making a lot of money. And so yeah. um, they're making all their money on advertising and, um, and subscriptions mm-hmm. and that's not getting funneled back to the artists. And so there is a lot of legislation that we have been fighting. I'm part of the Recording Academy, runs the Grammys, I'm a member. And so we advocate for the rights of songwriters, you know. And so typically, um, it's always the labels, the publishers who are making a lot of money. And then you think the artist is making the money. But in the trickle down, uh, they're kind of like the last, right? And so so that's... Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of people are independent now is that I, you know, if I'm going to get a little, 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 littler cut and what are you, what are you guaranteeing for me? And if they own your music and it doesn't go anywhere and then they, they cut you from their label, they still own that music. You can't do anything with it. I mean, we just saw this with Taylor Swift, right? Taylor Swift, biggest, biggest songwriter in the world. Um, somebody else owned her music. They own her masters. And she created those. So now she's, you know, after her contract was done, she wrote, she's, she's getting her creativity out there. So it's an important, like when, when you hear, you know, when you're following, when you have a friend or, you know, somebody you like their music, add them, download them, stream them. It is, it is not an easy market. Um, And so that's why people are being way, you know, as artists, we're having to do some things that are different to help, you know, help the artist, you know, have uh, longevity financially. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Uh, you're, you're right. I, I've, I've noticed that where the, the the opportunities to make money is narrowing for artists. I mean, there's been no concerts, right, for like the last year. And- <laughs> 
I mean, when are concerts going to come back? I mean, will it even be in 2021 at all? I know. Well, you know, Coachella found um, the the people who run Coachella. They you know they canceled it for this year. It would it would have been happening in the next few weeks. So yeah. starting, what's happening right now is there's some live music venues that are starting. But as far as like a contained space where people are going to be where there's live music, you know, I wouldn't say it's yeah. going to be coming back. It's just a guess, you know, in a, in a way that until until like the fall really you know but we're we're getting closer i mean people are getting vaccinated um and we're i think we're we're close but i think overall um you know the industry has changed it's been changing and um and artists are kind of pushing back to the people who normally had the monopoly. Artists are innovative. Artists are scrappy. Artists are strategic. Yeah. And so instead of going, hey, you know, it's not as glamorous, uh, like being signed. Like it used to be like, oh, you want to get signed. Well, when you're signing, John, you're signing away like all your rights. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, nothing to celebrate. Right? right. And so, um, and for some, you know, like the, the big labels that are Nashville, you get signed, they might put a bunch of money behind you, but if you don't take off, they've got, you know, 70 other people behind you that they can see who's going to be their money train and that's business. And so, um, because I, I'm able to discern these things, it's been the smartest thing for me to create an independent media company. So I own my own publishing. I have other artists that I help that are on that I have publishing. So, you know, is my my goal is to keep writing for other people, keep writing what I'm writing. But also the big win is to get your songs into commercials and movies and, and being connected to music supervisors. And that's starting to, those connections are starting to happen for me. So, but Tom, this has been because the industry, just like what we just talked about, because the music industry has changed so much, it's a constant like, oh, we're doing this now. Oh, we're doing this now. And if you, in any business, John, if you're not willing to adapt with how things change, you're going to sink. You have to be willing to adapt. Adapting in any business, adapting in life is key. So I'm learning that in the music business. I'm learning that in the book publishing business. And so I'm, I, I am, I'm aware that's going to happen. I anticipate it's going to happen. And so I'm trying to be ahead of that, you know? So I don't know. We're going to talk next year and who knows what's going to be going on, John. <laughs> This is great. I mean, this kind of goes back to the whole point where, yeah, as you start your own business, you learn things and the end result is going to be different than what you originally envisioned it. But good for you for owning your own publishing company. Good for you for having that, you know, you're, you're for excuse me for saying this, but you're not just an artist. You're right. you're an entrepreneur. You understand business and you're bringing that whole package together, not only to better help yourself, but you're also helping a lot of other artists because while you are acting as their publisher, you're, I would imagine you're still working on their as an advocate of them. You're not, yeah. you're not giving it all away. You're doing it the ethical win-win kind of a relationship. Yes. Um, and I think that's, that's terrific. You know, I think more artists, you need to find publishers like you that can help them if they're unable to publish themselves. Yeah. So, well, and, and being the advocacy is so important is, you know, I've always, you know, because because of the businesses I've been in before is I respected the people that I worked with when everything was transparent. There was nothing hidden. 
right? Like yeah. I can work with facts. I can work with, you know, what's ahead, what's in front of me. And so, um, and I also know and have worked with shady people and yeah. I can tell the yeah. difference. Right. Yeah, and so you. with in business, I'm just, I'm always like, this is what it is. Right. It, uh-huh. it, here's the contract. Have your lawyer spout, have every, like, there's nothing hidden. It's all right there. And I talk about, this is how much th- this is going to cost. This is, this is what we're dealing with. I talk about numbers so much that even Megan who works for, works with me, she's a young, I think she's, what is she? She's about to be what? 26. I think I might be wrong there, but, um, you know, she's a young artist herself. She works with other people um, with their artistry. But she said, she told me recently, she goes, I respect and I really admire how upfront you are about what things cost, what what you're going to get paid on this project, you know. And so I talk about the numbers. I talk about the numbers because it matters, right? And so some projects I have eaten it, (laughs) you know, and other projects like, okay, you know, and so it's, but, but we have to talk about that kind of stuff and being transparent because, uh, you know, it's important that everybody knows what you're up against. I used to, John, I used to internalize all this stuff. I'd be like, well, everything's going to look so great. If you, if, if anything, I talk more about the struggle and the ways to overcome things. than I go, everything's so great and everything's so great because it, it, because the truth of the matter is, is I've grown the most by figuring out how to, how to climb into new levels, right? I've had those, those harder things taught me and I want to help, younger people in their career, you know, younger being like newer in whatever endeavor they're doing. If I can help save you money from that money that I totally blew when I didn't know what I was doing, if I can help you. Yeah. And I'm not even connected to you, you know, as far as like you might, you know, just anybody, I think it's important, you know, you know, who's really good about that, John, I have to give him credit is Gary V. If you follow Gary V, he's, you know, he's an entrepreneur. Yeah. 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 Gary V. He is so raw and real and, you know, he's edgy, (laughs) but yeah, but he gives it, you know, he's not like, Hey everybody follow my 12 step program. You know, there's a lot of people who are doing that, but he's like, get in there, get it done. And he, and even if you're not even connected to him, you know, you don't have to be in business with him for him to go like, you can do it. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the kind of entrepreneur I admire. That's the kind of person who's living their life going, I'm charging forward. And I've made, I've taken risks and that one totally flopped, but this one lifted off, you know? And so I think the more, and my mind just thinks that way. So some things have lifted off for me and some things have flopped and I've learned you know, in the process. Mm-hmm. So. Well, what is the one thing that I, I, I don't watch a lot of his content, but what I have seen, I've liked. And I think the one thing I remember him saying is to, is it fail fast, right? Where, you know, just keep trying, keep experimenting. You're going to fail. And if you fail, you know, don't d- dwell on it. Just try something new. Yeah. And eventually you're going to hit something that works. And, but that, you know what that does? That goes right back to having confidence in yourself, right? Which, like you said in the beginning, it all starts with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Gary V. I I mean, I, yeah, he's, that guy is a huge influencer online. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, helped, it's helped a lot of young people, you know, yeah. um, uh, lots of, you know, because a lot of, you know, he's edgy. So a lot of the, the young techie, tech, uh, tech students and whatnot, you know, he's really helping a lot of people. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people in that space, like Gary Vee. I mean, Tony Robbins hasn't gone anywhere. He's still around. There's all sorts of different people who are sharing things and there's plenty of women who are doing the same thing. Um, and so 
I think the more that, um, but even if you think about Tony Robbins and even a lot what you just said about Gary Vee is that it does come down to the, the personal development tools. So yes. you can, you can read every sales marketing entrepreneurial book, but if you haven't, you haven't acquired the tools of perseverance, grit, set positive self-talk, right? Cause especially when you're starting something new, people are going to be like, that's stupid. That's a dumb idea. You know, you know, you're like, you hear all these things, right? Yeah. Everybody, everybody will be on board when it hits. Trust me. But when, yeah. when you're still building, people are like, so you have, yeah, yeah. So you have to have within you the centered lighthouse shining, yeah. you know, yeah. of yourself to go, I don't have it all figured out right now, but I'm figuring it out. And yeah. I'm, and I'm proud of myself for learning these lessons. And, and that thing that flopped, that failed, I learned lessons from that. And now I'm not doing that anymore. And that's, that's golden. That's golden for everybody. Well, you know, we're talking about Gary Vee and the things he teaches you. Are there, are there other people you look to for inspiration? Um, you know, I would imagine they probably fall into a couple of categories, you know, some as an entrepreneur, but, but also as a, as a, um, as, as an artist in the, in the children's space as, as a performer, um, are there people you look to that kind of light your fire? Yeah, it's a good question. I wouldn't, well, you know, somebody that um, I've really respected and admired that I've been connected to recently is Rafi. I mean, he's in the children's space for all these years. And I really respect how he lives his life, you know, how how he has, he is focused on children. You know, he's, he's not, he, his focus is on, um, I think his organization is called, you know, honoring children or I can't remember what it's called at the moment, but you know, that's where my space is, is I'm not going like, Oh my gosh, I want to be the biggest name. And then I'm going to branch off into something else. I care about children feeling good about themselves. And I'm not, I'm not swaying to the rhythm of the industries. What's hot right now. And I appreciate that. Um, but I, I would say that I spend, um, you know, I, I appreciate the wisdom shared from, uh, I don't know, I would say more like personal development, spiritual teachers. Like, you know, I I appreciate uh, Oprah. I think Oprah is very, Mm -hmm. very inspiring, right? I like the teachings of Marianne Williamson. I think she's a woman who has been able to blend uh, and share articulately in the world about how... um, how our choices and our, uh, you know, create our actions and, and coming from that authentic, loving place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the teachings of Wayne Dyer. He's no longer with us, but he was a great, you know, a great advocate of, of, you know, living your truth and, and creating. So there's more, I just can't think of them off the top of my head, but I tend to be more attracted to not necessarily what's hot right now. I tend to be more attracted to people who have had some, some real struggles that I resonate with and, um, and I, and I can see well they got through it. I can too, you know, or, Hey, they figured out how to have this, you know, second season of their life. And, uh, and truly, I mean, that's kind of what that, what I'm experiencing is I kind of had this first season of my professional life, John, and this is the second season of my professional life. And, as you 
said, I'm 46. So <laughs> who knows? There, you know, like. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I think I committed a f- mortal sin by giving away a woman's age. So I'm sorry. No, I have. No, no. I take it. I, 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 I shine it because I'll tell you this is um, I didn't have to put my age on that post, right? That was actually a, like a claim it for me because, and this is why is I, um, you know, I ventured into the music industry, John. I used to say 40, it was actually 41. I turned 41 and then I put out my first album, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and then I'm turning 47 in two months and I'll have put out seven albums of my own plus mm-hmm. one uh, that I wrote for somebody else. That's a lot of creative energy, right? Um, have I had a hit song yet? No. Am I going to keep trying? Yes. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I'm just like getting started. I'm figuring it out. And, and a lot, and I had this really inspiring conversation with somebody last January when I was writing the all together album, I had a really inspiring conversation with somebody who is, who is a hit song writer. And I said something about me aging out. I said that because that was kind of this idea that was in my head because a lot of women feel that way. I mean, if you follow what happens in, you know, a lot of actresses and whatnot, you know, yeah. it's, I, I understand. You understand? So yeah. it's not like, and I know other artists who do not want people to know their age, like who are yeah. older than me, like don't tell people my age. I was like, okay, well, everyone knows you went to high school that year. So, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but when in this conversation, one of the things that helped me feel good about where I am in my life and my career is when I said like, well, you know, I'm probably aged out. And he said, who says you are? Wow. Says who? Good, good. And I was like, oh my gosh, I needed to hear that, right? Yeah. And so instead of, I think that one of the wonderful things about women, John, is that if I don't say so myself, <laughs> what I experience in a lot of women that I'm seeing uh, that mirrors back to me is that we become, we come be as we grow, as we age, we drop all those layers of expectations. We drop a lot of that weight that we carry and we become the wiser woman, right? That's why we always see in, in storytelling, the woman, the, 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 the shaman, the shaman woman, gray hair, you know, we see the, 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 the medicine woman, gray hair, you know, it's because it's mm-hmm. wisdom, wisdom right. comes with age and so i i don't want to shy away from the fact that yeah i'm in my 40s and heck yeah because all the lessons that i learned in my 20s and 30s helped me um help me get here and so i want to help help women with that too is that you know hey like when we see those things on social media that say Tina Fey was at this age when she did this and Morgan Freeman was this age when he started this, like that's right. inspiring to me because age is just this number. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be creating until the last breath I take because it's just who I am. Right. And, um, and so I believe that, uh, you know, I'm going to be 47 soon and, What's next? We'll see, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, let, let's talk about what's next, because, I mean, you you share with me that you've got this big project you're working on with Father Joe. Um, so tell us about that or what you can share, because I know I know sure. it's not released yet. 
Yes, yes, yes. Oh, thank you. Well, I just, um, we're, it's releasing very soon. So we're actually probably making an announcement here in the next, um, next week or so with, uh, but I just finished writing, um, and publishing. We'll be publishing Father Joe's memoir. So Father Joe is a man here who lives here in San Diego since 1974. And, um, he is a Catholic priest, and uh, he is the Father Joe that we see all around that says Father Joe's Villages. He's a real person. I remember I met a, uh, a young person a while ago who had just kind of moved to San Diego in his tw 20s and was like, is he like a real person, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. so Father Joe is, you know, for those of us who've been here for a long time, he's just a real hero. He's a local hero. Oh, he has sure. helped so many people. He, speaking of entrepreneurs, you know, his mind is very entrepreneurial. You'll learn this in the book. And so, um, so, and he has helped his, his entrepreneurial mind, his innovation. Um, he had this vision uh, to do something that nobody else had done at that time. And, and he brought it to life. And that was what ended up being the same as the Paul Joan Croc Center. And, um, and mm. through all these years, uh, he, uh, that organization through his, you know, I would say through his energy and his ability to allow people to do what they're brought in to do. He's a great leader that um, he's helped so many people transform their lives. He's provided shelter um, and empowered people. And um, in addition, you know, he spent his whole life being a Boy Scout. And so um, he has those, you know, those principles. And that's how, you know, so I ended up um, writing what a book called Father Joe, Life Stories of a Hustler Priest. That's the title of the book. I'm going to be announcing that this week. So I'm letting you know, John, I always give you exclusives. <laughs> but um, thank you. Breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. But um. It's really his memoir, and I wrote it in his voice. So I was writing a book for him, um, and then I decided to chain. I actually kind of scrapped the book that I had been writing and switched it over to this kind of biography idea, um, and then decided to change the voice to his voice. So instead, the book is is the book. I wrote it as, as him. So he and I worked together through every single section um, so that each section was correct, right? So you're going to hear, you're going to get to read about his life growing up in the Bronx all the way through his retirement and get a real sense of the man he is and his mission on this planet and how, and how I think it's an inspiring read for anybody who is seeking inspiration um, and how one person, how one idea, how one person believing in their idea so much. Yes. Yes. Could get people on board and we're going to do this and we're going to help a lot of people. And, mm -hmm. and that's what you get from it. And, um, I can't wait for people to read the book and, um, and he's very excited. He got to hold the first advanced copy of the, of our first proof. And it was like mm -hmm. real, you know, <laughs> it yeah, wasn't in the computer Andrew. anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, but that's been a wonderful project, John, and it's it's helped me grow in my life in tremendous ways. He's helped heal me in ways. Just you know, by the time the book comes out, it'll have been a two year project, 
And, um, and I also wrote a Catherine the Grape book as well. It's coming out the same day. So there's a Catherine oh. the Grape, um, Father Joe's Six Golden Seeds. So, you know, ah. to take his wisdom and share it with children. So just like I've been doing all along, I'm going to share with adults and then I'm going to also share with kids. So, um, and yes, he's a Catholic priest. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah. And he's inspiring for all people. In fact, uh, you know, he has some really great stories about being a Shabbos Goy in the Bronx, which is, um, he was a helper to the Jewish community. And mm-hmm. so he has some really, he's a hysterical man. So he's got some really great stories. And um, I can't wait for San Diego to read it and beyond. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it because, I mean, there's obviously the, you know, the spiritual side of being a Catholic priest, but to me, I see him as like an entrepreneur, as a as a marketing dynamo, as, as a builder, as a creator of things and has had such longevity in San Diego that he is like an icon. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an honor for you to have the opportunity to, to write his memoirs. I mean, tell me more about your relationship with Father Joe. Sure. Um, yes. By far, one of the greatest honors of my life. Um, and oh, so I met Father Joe um, when I was two months old. He actually, I was raised Catholic, and he, when he first became a priest, John, his first um, parish that he was at was called Our Lady of Grace, which is where my parents, um, our family attended. So I was born in May 1974. He came in July 1974. So he was just like part of our family in in many ways. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, my parents were involved in marriage encounter with him. Um, and even as he carried on to other parishes, even before St. Vincent de Paul, my fa- my brothers and my dad were involved with, um, boy scouting. Um, and then my mom was his first secretary. So when he got the job to be, when he was appointed to run St. Vincent de Paul uh, center, which is now called Father Joe's Villages. But at the when he was appointed to that position, he needed a secretary, and my mom was his secretary. So they worked out of um, they worked out of um, like a storage closet office thing in <laughs> in in the downtown St. Vincent de Paul thrift store. Okay, so all that all that they owned at that time was this thrift store, which was a really a warehouse thrift store. And then there was this, a few blocks away was this empty parking lot that he was assigned to build a shelter on. Mm. So he started out, that's how he started. And so he needed somebody to help him. So my mom was his first secretary. And John, you'll be shocked at how this all comes full circle because, um, Catherine the Great ties in there. So I'm just going to tell you real quick is uh, my mom. So my mom on her lunch hour, she'd shop at the thrift store for it's right there. our family. Right. Yeah. And this was just so you know, John, this is before like thrift store shopping was cool. Okay. So like my mom would come home with like bags of clothes for me and be like, look what I found for you at the thrift store. And I was like 10 or 11 at the time. And I was like, really, you know, but, um, but she had some good finds. And one of the finds that she had, John, at the St. Vincent de Paul thrift store was this purple, like, track suit. Okay? This, like, like what I'm wearing right now, like a purple zip-up track suit, two-color purple, and pants. Uh-huh. Right? It was my favorite outfit. It was my favorite outfit. I even wore it to, like, the arms were all the way, like, ha- like, like crop sleeve, you know? <laughs> 
So right. I wore this outfit so much and I wore purple so much that when I was 11, my softball coach gave me the nickname, Catherine the Grape. Okay. Ah, so, so this where it comes from. Yes. So my softball coach gave me the nickname Catherine the Grape. Um, and so when I created Catherine the Grape years later, I used that purple outfit as the character. Okay. All right. So this, so this would have been 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So um, as my parents, my parents were always, uh, you know, donors to St. Vincent de Paul and Father Joe's work just because, you know, that was that. Um, and then let's fast forward. And a few years ago, my dad died and Father Joe came and spoke at his funeral. Um, my dad was very involved in Boy Scouting with him and they took a lot of trips together or a few trips together, I should say. And I remember people were like, how do you guys know Father Joe? Like, why is he here? You know, how do you know him that he shows up for something like this? You know, so he said all these wonderful things about my dad, just such a great man. And then a few, um, about a year later, my mom, you know, she's a widow and I was spending a lot of time with my mom and she asked me to go to a fundraiser at Father Joe's Villages with her. So I went and, um, during the program, John, uh, there was like a program, like somebody was talking and there was the choir. So I was like, I'm going to go get a picture with Father Joe because nobody was next to him, like talking to him at the moment, which you mm-hmm. shouldn't be because there was a program. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah. so I walk over there and I was like, hey, Father Joe, can I get a picture with you? You know, a selfie. Yeah. And so the gentleman who happened to be sitting next to him got up, took the picture and then said, here, why don't you sit down? And I was like, okay. So I'm just sitting there next to Father Joe during this program, watching the the choir. And then he says to me, Catherine, what do you do now for a living? Like, what do you do? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I said, well, I run a, a media publishing company. I write books and music. And then I told him, about the outfit. I said, I don't know if I said, you built all this stuff and you've helped so many people. But when I was a little girl and I told him what I just told you, the outfit and now Catherine the Grape is this series that helps children. And it's my heart to help people feel good. And he sat there and he just went like this for like, he just kind of took it all in. And then he said, Catherine, I have a book I want you to write. Uh-huh. Just like that. And I said, okay. And he told, told me the concept of the original concept he had. Um, and so I was like, I remember driving away with my mom going, um, I think Father Joe just asked me to write a book, you know? And she's like, oh my gosh, Catherine. And so she, I remember the next day she was like, you got to call him, you got to call him. So I reached out to him and we set up a meeting and our very first meeting was on his 78th birthday, which is April 12th, 2019. Mm-hmm. And the book will be coming out on his 80th birthday, April 12th, 2021. So, um, wow. yeah. So I've worked with him for two years. Um, a lot has manifested from that. So, you know, this memoir is coming out the, the book that I had kind of tabled, which goes with the six golden seeds. So we've got the children's version, but really the, the memoir, kind of like the big push because that's for adults and then and then um we also have the children's book i wrote a song for him we're we're in the the throes of also creating producing a documentary about people who were impacted by him so there's a lot happening and he totally trusts me like he has allowed me you know i i show up with this all this creative energy john and i'm always like hey father joe it's Catherine." you know <laughs> i'm you know i am big energy but also i get it done and so he's appreciated that i have this you know this 
big creative energy, but also let's get results. And so um, we we've enjoyed this ride. He's very excited about what's happening. And I believe wholeheartedly that his story has the will impact a lot of people's lives because it is just what you said. It's about his his mindset, his mindset for entrepreneur, like how he went to how he said that this is what we could build there. And people were like, what? And he did it. And then they kept doing it. And as you know, and he was very progressive, you know, you'll read in the book, you know, um, in, in the beginning, he empowered a lot of women in leadership, like, he, he, and I, and he would let, he even, you know, says like she was in charge, you know, Mary, Mary Case was in charge of programs. She did, she ran the show. She was like my boss, you know, and I, you know, he's just really good like that. And he said, she'd tell me what, how much money I needed to raise. I'd go out and raise it. Right. And so he told me these stories that are shared in the book, but also as a woman, I experienced that too. And I'm saying as a woman, because I think it's important. I think it's important when, you know, uh, he was very progressive that he just let people do their job, right? He brought me in to write a book. He didn't tell me how to write the book. He even let my creative energy go here, 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 and until it went like this. He just trusted that I was going to fulfill the task that he asked me to do. And he didn't micromanage me. And I was like, I can see why people were wanted to work with him for a very long time. So even people who are in management, you know, fundraising, management, entrepreneur, this is all the stuff you get in these stories of his book. Uh, This is going to be a great read. I'm looking forward to it. And it is, it is refreshing, you know, especially like from a Catholic priest, you know, which usually women aren't in leadership positions in the church, but he was empowering women in his own way, you know, within his own scope of authority that's beautiful. But how about a, a kind of divine intervention for you, right? I mean, not just totally. the full circle of the track suit and, and, and then being able to share that story with Father Joe, but you're sitting next to him at a choir recital and then he asks you to write a book. I mean, it's just like, you know, the choir was probably singing to you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. No, honestly, it, it, I'm going to share this. It's all in the power of yes, right? Is, mm-hmm. is yes, I went to that fundraiser with my mom, right? But mm-hmm. it was inside of me that was like, I'm going to go over and ask him for this book. When he asked me the question, I, I didn't, I didn't go, Oh, I just perform, you know, I, I sometimes I kind of like narrow down what I do, but I just yeah. straight out said, I run a publishing company and this is what I do. And so, yes, there was a divine synchronicity for all of these pieces. I mean, I couldn't make up this story, John. I couldn't yeah. tell you. Amazing. Yeah. All these years you know, this, the thread of this story is so spectacular. I, I literally am like, how did this happen? You know, and, but it's what's meant to be. And so there, I believe wholeheartedly in synchronicity. I believe wholeheartedly that, that there's all these different moments that are all meant to happen in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so we have to pay attention to the moments. We pay attention to the feeling. So I could have said, oh, I shouldn't go over there, little old Catherine to ask for a picture. I was like, I'm going to go get a picture, you know, like, right. and, and so, yeah. um, and because, and because he's known my family, then of course, I'm not a stranger to him. And honestly, John, he'll even tell you that he likes that I have known him his whole, I've known him since he was a priest, right? Like I've mm-hmm. known him ever since he came to, I mean, technically I've known him. I was two months old, but he yeah. likes that because he could see that as I'm a storyteller, you know, if somebody else were to write yeah. this book, John, they wouldn't, 
they might they it would it wouldn't have turned out this way. You know, I am a storyteller. I I gleaned out the stories that I felt that were. I mean, he has stories for everything. He is he's an incredible storyteller. But also, I was kind of like you know, weaving together a tapestry of his life. And I had no agenda, right? I, I don't have an agenda. There's, n- there's no agenda for me to shape his story a certain way. I was just tasked to tell his story. And uh, as, a, as a man who's nearing his 80th birthday, uh, he, he shared his whole life and that's what you're going to get. And I think a lot of us want to feel that way. We want to feel like we made a difference, even just to one person, mm-hmm. that our lives matter. And uh, that he 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 was a boy. He wants those stories about, you know, when he was a boy to be shared. And, um, and he liked that I knew him this whole time. I knew of him this whole time. I wasn't an active member of his. You know, he was larger than life, Sean. I mean. Oh, yeah. He's a big, he was, big, big time guy. Yes. And so. And I think maybe, I don't know, you know, I've just kind of come into this, like, I'm just Catherine with him. You know, I'm obviously very respectful, but, <laughs> but um, he's a, fun, he's a cheerful, fun man and, and I'm cheerful and fun. So we had a great time creating this and I know that he can't wait for people to read his book and I can't wait. So April 12th, uh, Father Joe, Life Stories of a Hustler Priest comes out um, and we're going to do our best to get you know, it out to everybody to let them know this is happening. And um, there's going to be some really cool events. So, um, and we're going to get them on your show. So it's going to be great. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for trying to organize that. Like, yeah. That would be wonderful. And it, what a great opportunity to talk about the book and his backstory. And because I think a lot of people would like to learn more about him. We just know him as the guy we see on TV or, you know, the, the guy that's always at these civic events who's in the public eye. But I didn't know he was from the Bronx. I, I didn't know that he worked yeah. in the Jewish community. I, I don't know his whole backstory. This would be great. And I think the book should be really good because because he could trust you to do, you know, to to be fair and write the real story, not only trust you because you're already an author, but he, he can trust you because of the relationship that goes right. back so far. So I would imagine that the stories that are being told there, they're going to be like really good and and i would imagine probably really raw like really truthful as oh they're super truthful and he's funny yeah. so they were they were it's funny because you know he'd also always want like because i went section by section so once i started writing once i decided i went to him one day and i said you know what father joe i want to change direction i want to tell this story from your voice i want to sh- yeah. i want to write it like you wrote it and of course, he's like, okay. So uh, there's there's seventy. This is another cool thing. They ended up being seventy four sections in the book. They kind of like little stories, and they all yeah. weave together. But he became a priest in 1974, and there's seventy four sections. Isn't that crazy? So fun. But <laughs> <laughs> right. So each right. each section of the book, I would go and I would after I wrote it, I would go and read it to him. Right. And make sure it was accurate. Make sure that I was getting his voice right, that I was sharing what he wanted me to share. And mm-hmm. it wasn't necessary. And I, it was a kind of a culmination. I had to really understand who his whole story was to be able to weave together. Because, you know, Father Joe has hundreds and hundreds of stories to tell. Oh, my God. Yeah, so sure. the greater challenge as a writer, John, was 
to simplify, you know, I mean, like what I do with Catherine Grape, everything's about a simplification. How do I take this enormous life story and simplify it down into what it is? And, um, and that took, that took some real, you know, truth telling, storytelling. And I'll tell you, John, I'll tell you this. He'll tell you it too. I would show up thinking I was done. I thought I was done with the book for two months before I actually was done. Cause I'd show up and I'd be like, okay, let me read you this next part. Then he would be like, well, what about this? And he'd tell me a whole nother story. And I would leave there and I'd be like, oh my gosh. And I, <laughs> And then all of a sudden I had like three more sections to write. So it was funny. There came a point where I was like, Father Joe, no more stories. This is it. <laughs> so, um, well, 74 then, is a lot of good, like little vignettes. This will be a great read. I'm looking yes, forward to it. Yes. And lots about like, even like you said, you saw him on television. You know, there's a whole section about how you're, there's, there's a whole section about how his willingness to be in the media transformed everything oh, and, yeah. um, yeah. and the power of presence. And so um, I trust that the book is going to get into the hands and the hearts of the right people. It's a, it's a good read. It's his personality. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just his story and, um, and it's a fascinating story. So, oh. and it's inspirational. You know, I didn't, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I didn't let my mom, my mom was like at, abiding at the chomp to get to read this book. I let nobody Nobody saw this book, anything that was written except me and Father Joe and my editor, right? But my mom wanted to read this book. Like she was so wanted to read it and I wouldn't let her read it. And then I finally let her read. (laughs) I let her read. And so she loved, she loved it. Uh, But she, she read it fast. It's it's not a hard, you know, it's a great read. Like how I wanted it to be was kind of like almost like a chicken soup for the soul, like where you'll read a section and then you go make dinner. Then you read another section. Right. And so mom, felt she said Catherine is very inspirational and I was like yes he is, he is inspirational and um well, your mom knows father Joe so she would mm-hmm. be the probably the best uh person to to let read it right yes absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely so um you know he's uh, I'm, I'm really proud of this project um yeah you should be he had some health stuff happening over the summer so there was a real urgency to get this project done and um Mm -hmm. at the time and um you know and i I write everything that i write i write in 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 the morning but i was on a real deadline of um i was on a real deadline and so i was meeting with him every wednesday and um sunday but John, there were some days where I literally set my, I don't wake up to an alarm ever, but during this process where I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get these three sections done before my meeting with him. Um, I set my alarm a few times, like at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, because so I could get up and write. And so I'd be done, you know, come four or five o'clock in the afternoon, I was exhausted, right? I mean, wiped and my teenage son he's just so compassionate and intuitive himself and he'd be like mom just go lay down go lay down you're tired (laughs) and so um you know he was I'm glad that my son got to be a part of this creative process you know he's older now he's understanding what I do in the world and so one day I said I want you to come with me to meet father Joe like he had only this was during COVID so I was like "I, I want you to come you'll sit in the other room 
And mm-hmm. so he came and he just listened to us. He played on his phone. And then eventually Landon got up and walked and stood in the doorway to listen. And then Father Joe, of course, engaged him in a conversation and they laughed and all this stuff. And um, and so and Father Joe just made him feel like everything he said was important. You know, I think that's you, you always know when you're talking with a real amazing human being because they make everybody else feel like what they have to say is the most important thing. So sure enough, when we drove away, now all of a sudden, my son had had real questions for me about this project. And that felt good to me, you know? And so whenever I go see Father Joe, Landon will be like, how's Father Joe, mom? And Right on. Right. You know, and one day Father Joe said, does Landon like baseball? And I said, yep. Yeah, sure. So he goes over to his drawer and he pulls out one of those baseballs that's in a, in a plastic protective cover. Yeah. And it was a signed Hall of Fame, Tony Gwen ball that oh uh huh that John Morris had given Father Joe uh and Father Joe was giving it to me to give to Landon ah oh, beautiful i know so i was like what are you sure and so you know my son just he made he helped my son feel like he mattered he that he was important and that's just me and my son and he did that with countless people letting them yeah. feel like their lives mattered that and all people and what an important message that we in this day and age all can benefit from mhm well that's that's a big reason why he is such an icon because he had that special touch he had that ability to communicate and to connect and really powerful and meaningful ways. That's why I, again, I, I, what an honor for you to have an opportunity to write the book, to be asked by him to write his memoirs, but then we all get to enjoy it. So we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. gosh, that'll be in about a month, right? A little over a yeah. month. So that's that's going to be fun to check that out Thank you. Good for you. I mean, so gosh, we've been talking about Catherine, the grape and father Joe, but I, I want to ask you about, about some of the, the music that you're doing as not as Catherine the Great, but as Catherine Cloward. And I I saw this video that you put out. I think it was in, was it in December? Um, she Roared? I mean, what a great video that was. I mean, it, tell me about that song, that idea that you, you came out with in December of last year. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, you know, um, I've spent the last few years, John, writing for other people. And, um, and Catherine the Grape. So, you know, Catherine the Grape media Then I've written for other people. And I haven't, I haven't felt the desire to energize any new Catherine Cloward music, which is, you know, kind of my lyrical journaling, right? right. And um, I've put out four albums to date, and they were released in 2015 and 2017. But all of those songs were written... Um, in like 2013 through 2016. So I haven't really put out anything new, Catherine, since 2016. And mainly because I just, I didn't have it in me, John. Like it was, Mm. my dad died in 2016. Um, In May, my good friend, bandmate, Barry died um, in September of that year. Uh, 
And there was a lot of circling around in my family. And it was just this kind of like, I don't know how to say it any other way, John, but it was, there was a deep dive for me. And, um, that, that in that thing you just read, I, I realized this, there's what, uh, the reference that you read in the very beginning of the show, I said something about a well, a well of grief or well of toxicity. What, what, toxicity, how did I, yes. yeah. So there was self out of wells of toxicity. Yes. So during that time, I was, there was just a lot, a lot happening. And while I wrote some songs during that time, John, I didn't want to energize any of them because as we just talked about the music industry, it's not like a, Hey, here's a song. (laughs) You know, there's this entire birthing process of a song, you know, songs have to gestate from the time you actually have the idea of the song and to the time it actually gets through the distribution channel. And it takes a lot of energy and quite frankly, it takes you know, you have to, you have to have the energy behind it, not just to create it, but also to like, after it comes out, like let people know you have it. I just didn't have it in me. And I didn't, uh, my, my, my songs were my, I was changing. (laughs) So, um, but in, in the beginning of 2020, kind of after that meeting, really after that meeting that I told you about, about the, the, uh, hit songwriter who said I hadn't aged out, you know, like Mm -hmm. who said, who says that I drove home from that meeting. So energized that I still had songs in me to write, not, not, not just for other people and not just for Catherine the great, but I had songs that this woman, Catherine Cloward was desiring to write. And she roared is the first release of that new energy that I'm putting out into the world. So, um, so in the, and I would say that I write my own Catherine Cloward songs, John, in, in the, like the cracks of time where I'm in between, like, it's almost like, um, like, let's say like during father Joe's project, my mind's thinking father Joe, I have this other album coming out from Michelle. I have, you know, Catherine, the grape stuff, but I would be going through John personal things that were big in my life or challenging and I needed to expel those feelings. Yes. <laughs> Not yeah. just in my journal every morning, but I was being inspired to write these songs because all my songs, my Catherine Cloward songs all come from a feeling. Like I have an emotion, I have a feeling and then it becomes. And that's what happened with She Roared is I roared and then I wrote a song about it, you know? (laughs) So the truth of the matter is, is I had before COVID that October, I'd had a meeting with a woman in LA, um, actually a personal development meeting, quite frankly. And Mm -hmm. um, she had presented this kind of concept of being falsely framed. Like I was, you know, I was telling her about something that happened um, in my family actually. And, um, and I was tired of being falsely framed. Right. I'm talking across the board from people that I care. Like I'm talking about people I care about. I, you know, if I don't know you and you're going to figure something, you know, I, don't, I can't, I can't really do that. But if you've known me for a while and you're, and we're still not on the connection page of you understanding who I am, I don't think I'm missing the mark on expressing myself, you know? So right. I don't know. And so I was tired of being falsely framed and that's, that's the, um, that's the, the line of the song that starts the song. She was tired of being falsely framed. And so that, mm-hmm. that line carried around with me October, November, December, January, February, March. And then COVID came in. 
And this is the truth about she roared, Father. Or, oh my God, I was going to call you Father Joe. Um, I was <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I was thinking I'm going, okay. to, I'm going to meet him after this. <laughs> oh, I apologize, but uh, John. But yeah, um, you know, COVID brought out the instinctual lioness within me, and that's what the song is. Is um. You know, the thing about a lioness, uh, which I bring out in the She Roared, she protects her family, her pride, mm-hmm. is, you know, a lioness doesn't go around seeking drama, right? A lioness, like her, her job is to protect and provide, protect right. and provide. And I identify with that, right? I'm a mom. And so when COVID came into our lives, my primal mom instinct was, let's protect what matters to me. which is my son. Yeah. And uh, it was primal. I don't know how to, I'm sure many parents went through this, right? Of like, right? You're a parent, right? Uh, And and so I was like, oh my gosh. And it it was heightened for me, John, because my mom was on that cruise ship that was out in the San Francisco Bay when COVID first came. Yeah. So like before- Oh my God. Actually, I'm looking at the date. It's March 7th. I put my son and I into, uh, into, you know, I started, like, we started isolating in, in March 7th, which was a few days before Governor Newsom put us into isolation, which was, or into stay-at-home orders, which was, I think, March 12th. So we were just a few days ahead of the curve. But those right. few days were, everyone was like, what? But I knew about COVID. A lot of us knew about COVID a bit beforehand, but I personally was dealing with it because my mom was in federal um, quarantine you know, in February. So I remember uh, that story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my point was, is let's protect, I need to protect my son. Let's protect my son. Um, and, and anything that went against that was a problem for me. (laughs) And so, you know, in this song, I think that's what happened with she roared is that I felt this, you know, and a lot of times women, It takes a lot for us to reach the point of roaring. You know, we don't go around roaring all the time. But a line that really got to me is in second verse. She defends with fierce loyalty against a pack. She'll stand courageously and she'll only rear up to fight. You know, like the lioness rearing up. She'll only rear up to fight when provoked and when things aren't right. And that's so powerful to me because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times when a woman reaches, uh, you reaches her roar, right? If, if it's a, if it's a roar of a protection or just like, anytime we might expel an, uh, an emotion that isn't the nice, keep it nice. Women are, we're supposed to be nice. Right. Be ladylike. Right. right? But we're allowed to roar. And this was yeah. my, I'm allowed to roar. And more than anything, why I made that video, John, was because 2020, I think, um, there were a lot of women who kicked butt in 2020, right? You know, and, and beyond. But there were a lot of women who, were, who just rose up in whatever their roar was. A roar doesn't have to be anything aggressive. It can just be like, I'm here to share what I have to share. You know, protection, um, taking a stand, being more loving, you know, all these, all these roars that we have. And so I wanted the video, um, which is a a photo video to women that felt inspiring to me or circumstances that I saw were inspiring Mm -hmm. to me. That's what's in the video. So the video is great. And, And I mean, there's like photos of healthcare workers and, you know, they're out there fighting the good fight. You know, they're, they're roaring in their own way, right? They're, 
standing up for themselves and their community. I mean, it was really a well done video and um, yeah, I mean, good for you. And, and what, a, like, like you said, it's like a release, right? Yeah. <laughs> Feeling this. Um, and you have this other persona and a channel to, to let it out. So you roared. As I did roar. I did roar. And then I actually wasn't going to put out any cast on the great music, uh, actually until all, until I, my, my thinking, John originally was, I'm not going to put out any cast on the great music until I got through this process with the father Joe book, um, releasing Michelle Hopkins. There was just some things that had been on COVID hold. You know, a lot of people had like COVID hold stuff. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. once all that was Make done, yeah, yeah. So um, I felt inspired to do that. And to bring all of my music full circle is um, I knew I wanted my music to start having a little bit more of a pop. I wanted to really kind of harness in on this. I have pop influences. I have rock and roll influences. I mean, I came up with like the Go-Go's and Pat Benatar and Heart, right? And then I also, you know, the country storytelling. So I have all this kind of woven into me. You know, I love like Katy Perry and... I love, you know, I think Britney Spears was so fun on stage, you know, all these different things. So um, I knew I wanted to venture into pop, which is kind of the aging out thing. Like, girl, you're going to do some pop music. <laughs> you know? I was like, yes, right. I am. And so um, I wanted to just shine a light on the, the, the ripple of the yes for me is um, I first, when I was working with Father Joe last year, about like last year in the wintertime, John, I had written the children's book the children's book and the children's song have been done for well over a year. Um, I, and uh, which we'll be releasing as well. Um, and in his office was this woman named sister Faye Hagen, who worked with father Joe for all these years. And he told her about, you know, the book that everything I was writing. And then I do music and then sister Faye, she's a character. You're going to read about some of these other iconic people in San Diego who just did amazing things. But sister Faye is a whippersnapper. She gets stuff done. So she calls me up and she's like, Catherine, my sister Faye. I hadn't seen her since I was a little girl. Like she had to call my mom and call me. And sure enough, her great nephew, as I said, he is into music. So she made that connection. And so the music on all together the production of Altogether, I worked with her nephew, her great nephew. She Roared was the first Catherine Cloward song that he helped me with. So he's working with me as an intern, and he's helping really help reshape my music. All links back to the Yes for Father Joe. So the Father Joe project, everything links. I mean, it's just incredible. I can't make this up. So the yes to go take a selfie with Father Joe that night, right, at that fundraiser, to sit down with him and talk with him that opened up this kind of this whole door of my own life to I've never written a chapter book before. I did that. I had I wanted to transform my sound. Poof. Next thing you know, this amazing talent came into my life and somebody who wanted to, you know, he, he wanted to work in other genres. You know, I'm close with his parents. So I say this. Because why do these stories matter? You know, we're talking about my life, but really it's about paying attention to how everything kind of links in our own lives and being grateful for all those signposts, all those moments of synchronicity, because it matters. It syncs to the stories that is the greater story of our own lives and how our own lives connecting to other people's lives helps shine out into the world. So here we are, those lighthouses we talked about in the beginning, right? Do what you do, do do you, 
right? And shine. And then you help other, and then everybody, everybody's shining. There's no, there's no competition. You know, there's plenty of space for us all to shine and share and live our most vibrant, an uncontainable vibrancy, right? To, to live that vibrancy. And um, that's what I hope for people. You know, I want, I want people to feel that, but you have to, you have to be brave and saying, yes, you have to be brave and showing up. You have to just trust that, you know, not everything is, is, is about the big hit. Oftentimes it's these moments, all these moments add up to the greater picture. So, mm. yeah, I mean, how often do we say no to ourselves or avoid something? And what we're really doing is we're preventing ourselves from experiencing new things in life and new doors opening up. Gosh, one of my other podcast guests, we talk about eureka moments, you know, those little magical moments in life where the right thing happens with the right person. And then suddenly your life goes off in a different trajectory. It's a beautiful thing. And we, we need more of that, right? And we need to be aware of it so we can see it when it's happening. Yes. The awareness. I think you're right, right there. Like it happens. We just have to realize that the, that the, like when you just said the simple Eureka moments, right? It, it, I used to think that the signs in life needed to be these massive, big signs, but the signs are the simple dangling of something, right? We're always, it's, it's the simple, it's the feeling, it's the in intuitive knowing that comes in where you're like, I'm supposed to go over and do that. I'm supposed to say hi to that person. I'm supposed to email that person. You, you feel like, you know, it, it's right, right here swinging in front of you. And so those moments matter. And then, and then you look back, even me, I'm going, I look back and I'm like, how did this whole story connect? It's just absolutely spectacular. Right. It's amazing. To an outfit. You know, I mean, my friend Jennifer Pinard, I told you about, she was my first boss. She loves yeah. the outfit story. She thinks the Catherine the Great outfit story is like, it makes her cry. And I'm just like, that's so funny. It's just an outfit. But it, it connects, right? So I think John oftentimes, like, you know, even in telling Father Joe's story, he he he's a man. He deeply wanted, you know, the the thread of his story of how he have how he cared about neighbors goes back to his story in the Bronx. Right. And so even with me, oh my gosh, all that's happening in my own life, it, it's threaded back to my childhood. And I think if a lot of us can sit in that story development of our own personal life stories, mm -hmm. so much of what, of our goodness of, of what we're able to do kind of threads back to some of those early, memories of, uh, that shaped us. Wow. That is an incredible story. I mean, because it ties so many different things together and it, you know, it's, it's, it's the Catherine, the grape it's, it's father Joe. It's, it's Catherine Cloward. It's purple. It's, you know, your childhood and your adult life all coming together and becoming this new person that you are. It's, it's amazing. I mean, 
that should be like <laughs> in the, well, again, you've written your book, but I would think that would be like a forward or something, you know, in the book. It has to be in the book somehow, right? The tracksuit. But wow. Okay, it is. Thing. It is. And I just oh, I is. just added that. I just added that. But I have to tell you, because Father Joe wanted it. So uh oh my gosh, you're that's very intuitive of you. Like you totally tuned into that. So the book has been done, you know, the book is done. And Father Joe has um he lives across the street from Father Joe's villages. He's lived down there forever. And so he has uh, security comes and checks on him multiple times a day. So they come over to his house and, you know, make sure he's okay. So yeah. every meeting I have with him, especially on our Sunday meetings in the afternoon, the security always, you know, comes over. So they've been, they've been present for the progress of this project. Right. And so last, a few weeks ago, Father Joe pulls out my children's book that I wrote for him. The children's book's been done, as I said, for a while. So he pulls it out and says, you know, well, look at this. And he's telling them about, you know, how I knew him forever. And he's like, Catherine, you got to talk about this book in the book. You got to put this in there. You got to let people know how you know me. And I, and I was like, okay, you know, because I didn't know how to, I, I, you know, it's not, it's his book. I wrote it, you know, it's his story. And I, and I wrote it, um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to, other than like an author bio, I didn't, I wasn't going to put myself in there, but he right. wanted that. He wants people to know how I know him. Yeah. So, yeah. So at the, at the end, there is an author. So I just wrote it uh, and we added it in. It's called author's note. And at the end, I explained a very short, brief, like what we just said, I've known him. And I talk about the outfit and then also show the cover of that book, the illustrated father, Joe and the illustrated Catherine the grape that, you know, if somebody finishes that book and they have children in their life that perhaps they're going to be interested in the Catherine the grape book. So he wanted all of that. And so I was like, okay. So um, that made me feel good that he was like, you know, he, he wanted to make sure that that, that connection was made. Like who is this woman who wrote this book? Yeah. Oh, Good for Father Joe to have that in there. And yeah, you you deserve to have that in the book. So this is great. We're looking forward and to I want to say like that is something that I, I recognized with him is that Father Joe and I recognize this is that he is, you know, we did our best to put as many names in the book as possible. But, you know, then also I was like, maybe, you know, we it's his story, you know, but he, he made sure like he always made sure to like who was kind of who was responsible for this. You know, like he 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 was good about making sure that if there was a program that was started that was part of the story we were, that he was telling that they got credit. And and I got to, again, experience that, too. Like he wanted to make sure that people know that I wrote the book and um I don't know. That felt really like I uh, felt important to me because I worked really hard on it. <laughs> I, I worked really hard on it. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that's coming out soon. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've covered so much ground in this conversation. Yes. This is yes. fantastic. So um, I want to thank you so much, Catherine, for joining me. This has been wonderful. Thank I you. Mean, I love being part of your show. Yeah. Well, I love having you here. You know, earlier in the conversation, you, you talked about you know, at being that lighthouse and, and really having all of those colors aligned. And it was about freedom, right. Um, and personal freedom and, and, you know, freedom means a lot of different things to different people, but this podcast, I try to have my higher, what's the word is the, the higher purpose is to celebrate, you know, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. 
And, you know, there's a political angle to that, but there's really a serious self-improvement part to this. And it's about living your life and shining and then, you know, and having the freedom to do what you want to do and ultimately to pursue your happiness. This all fits everything that you're doing, what we're doing in this podcast. It's all aligned. And that's why I love having you. And that's why I think we kind of get each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, I get you and I appreciate that you create this platform. So you, your pursuit is also helping people have a platform to share and to feel comfortable that, you know, that I want to come back, that I like, I like having conversation with you. And so I, I'm grateful to you. And, um, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, there's plenty of times in my life that I have flopped, you know, but I, I feel, I feel fulfilled. And, um, and I think that's what, you know, I can, I can go to bed at night and I've, I've run pretty hard during the day and I can't wait to get up in the morning. And I want that for, I want people to have that feeling, that feeling of fulfillment, you know, and I know when my dad was passing, um, he was admitted into the hospital and he was aware, he was aware that he was aware that he wasn't going to be leaving the hospital. And, um, that came over him a few days into it. And I spent a lot of time with my dad. I slept over with my dad most of those nights. My mom did two. I think I did five. Um, and, um, or actually she did three and I did five cause we had a few nights together, but, um, I spent a lot of time with my dad in the early morning hours in the, in the ICU, you know, lots of, <laughs> bells and whistles go off in the ICU at, you know, yeah. all times. But um, he was very aware that his life was coming to an end and he was aware of it. And I think that's like a hard thing for me to, yeah. to reconcile. Um, oh my gosh. I don't, I'm like, I don't want to share this, but this is what I want to say is um, one of the things that brought my dad feeling good was that thank you to social, the positive power of social media is because there were people who care about him. My dad was very involved in men's ministry and helping people. And I give all credit to my dad for putting me on this trajectory of personal development. Like my dad was a transformed man. I got to experience that in my life. He, he initiated like the first books that I read of personal development when I was like 18. But what I'm, why I'm bringing this up is when he was there kind of doing this like really like a life review, you know, like the rest of our family was there during the day. But, um, I, there were people who were reaching out on social media who wanted to, um, know, you know, know what was going on with my dad. And so I asked, so I had conversation with people on social media and people, and I asked, I can't remember what I said, but I asked people to like, it's giving him comfort to hear from people. So people were sharing these like little vignettes of how he helped their lives right? Mm -hmm. People at his church, strangers, I didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. That how my dad had, my dad was very involved with this very faithful man and, um, and purposeful man. And so he got to feel those feelings of like, okay, I helped some people and I made a difference. And John, I think what your show allows is this freedom to talk and go, huh, 
like we don't often sit around and talk about ourselves, <laughs> right? And so right. when I come onto your show, I get to kind of like, there is a little bit of a life review moment for me of going, I'm taking a pause to talk about these things. And what I think I would be would like a seeds of love that we can share for each other is to let people know in our healthiest state, how they are helping our lives, right? To share with each other those moments so that we can have those moments of fulfillment and knowing um, and, and to be, you know, to share the light with other people so that we can help them shine and help other people shine. Because sometimes all we just need to know is going, you, you know, you said those two words to me and they encouraged me, you know, just like that, that guy who said, you haven't aged out. I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't aged out. I better get home and like write some songs, you know? So, um, I don't know. I'm just grateful to you. Thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to see what we talk about next time. Catherine, thank you again. Good luck on the uh, release of the Father Joe memoirs. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be, you said, on April 12th, right? Oh, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's all you know mark that on our calendar, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of media about that when it comes out. But again, best wishes to you, Catherine, and let's talk again. Yes, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. 